Are you searching for ways to increase your mental focus in life or in the mountains? Look no further than Behind the Sun Therapeutics. Owned and operated by world-class alpinist Samuel Johnson, Behind the Sun Therapeutics is a private mental health and mental coaching practice based in Seward, Alaska. Samuel, who is featured in the Fernline episode, Mindful Mountaineer, has made numerous first ascents spanning from Alaska to Asia and many places in between. Samuel is excited to offer performance-oriented mental coaching for risk-oriented sports to clients based around the world. For more information, contact Behind the Sun Therapeutics via phone at 907-422-7504 or by email at BehindTheSunTherapeutics at gmail.com. Hey, Evan, did you hear that? Dude, it's a hoarding marmot. Looking for that last-minute piece of kit before heading into the hills? Make sure and stop by the hoarding marmot, Anchorage's finest outdoor consignment shop located in the heart of Spinard. The hoarding marmot has everything you need from high-end mountaineering gear, cross-country and downhill ski equipment, as well as a fine selection of local guidebooks, maps, and yummy trail snacks. Stop by the Hoarding Marmot next time you roll through town or check them out online at hoardingmarmot.com. All right, let's get to the show. Hey friends, I'm Evan Phillips, and you're listening to The Fern Line, a podcast about the lives of mountain climbers. On season two, I'm chatting with alpinists and other outdoor enthusiasts who are pushing the limits of creativity in the mountains and in their daily lives. My goal is to have meaningful conversations with an extraordinary group of people, the folks who choose to live full value lifestyles in the most beautiful and wild regions on the planet. All right. Well, it's great to be back with you for another episode of The Fern Line. I have to say I have thoroughly enjoyed working on this episode that I have for you today. Uh, I've been actually working on this one for quite some time, but I kind of buckled down this weekend and it came together and I'm really happy with it. So I'm super stoked to have it for you today. Before we dive in, I want to remind folks that if you enjoy The Fern Line, there's a few ways you can really help out. You can review the show on iTunes or from within your favorite podcast app. You can tell someone directly. You can share the links via social media or text. You can follow The Fernline on Instagram or on Facebook. And if you feel like The Fernline adds some sort of value to your life, you might consider becoming a monthly backer on Patreon. And Patreon is basically a monthly voluntary subscription where you sign up um, kick down a certain dollar amount. It can be as little as a dollar a month. It can be as much as a hundred dollars a month. Just keep in mind that whatever amount you choose to contribute helps keep this podcast a viable and sustainable endeavor for me moving forward. And all of it makes a big difference. To find out how to become a backer on Patreon, you can go to thefernline.com and just click on support the Fernline. If you want to get in touch, you can email me directly at thefernline at gmail.com. 
I know I say this pretty much every episode, but I really do love getting the emails from folks. I love getting feedback about the show. Some folks just write a note to say hello. Some folks give me suggestions on uh, people that I might consider interviewing. You know, some people just say, hey, this one episode meant something to me and I just wanted to let you know. So it's an added bonus for me. And I really, really appreciate that added connection with you guys. So make sure you reach out and say hello. All right. So with that, it's time to grab your favorite beverage and get cozy on your couch, camp chair, or your damp, dripping wet cave bivy high on the side of a mountain in the western Chugach and settle in for this episode of The Fern Line. Mountaineer has a favorite mountain range, a place that, for whatever reason, centers them. It gives them a peace of mind, creates a sense of belonging. For some, it might be a well-known place like the Sierras, an area of impeccably clean granite towers, speckled with pristine, aqua-colored alpine lakes and a constant supply of near-perfect weather. For others, it might be the Swiss Alps, a range steeped in mountain history and culture, with a list of bold and ultra-classic lines too innumerable to count. And for others, like Alaskan climber and mountain adventurer Eric Parsons, it's the more obscure areas, like the western ramparts of Alaska's Chugach Mountains, that define their lives. Growing up in New York, Eric spent summers camping and taking cross-country road trips with his family to places like the Canadian Rockies and the desert southwest. These early experiences created an adventurous mindset that would follow him to college at Colorado State University and ultimately the vast expanses of Alaska. Since that time, Eric has created a unique lifestyle for himself that centers around his family and close-knit group of friends, his bikepacking gear company, Revelate Designs, and of course, a constant effusion of adventures in the western Chugach Mountains. Last summer, I was fortunate to sit down with Eric to talk about his love for the mountains, the passion and creative drive that led him to start Revelate Designs, as well as the meaningful partnerships and friendships he's developed through climbing and other outdoor pursuits. We started our conversation by talking about his early outdoor forays as a kid and how that led him to a migration west and eventually a life in Alaska. So yeah, I grew up in New York and um, north of the city a little bit, and I feel like as a kid, it was like our family would get out and go do stuff and like just in open spaces and outside. And for summers, my mom worked at the school, and um, we had this huge chunk of time during the summers. And this is like when I was, you know, like eight, nine years old, and um, 
we started this series of like cross-country road trips. We'd basically head out to the west, head out to the western states and live out of the car for two months and kind of just visit all these national parks and just kind of camp wherever, you know. And that was, that always had like a really big impression on me as you, as you would expect. It's like, you know, nine years old and I'm like totally out someplace completely different. Um, Is there a, a park from that time that had a particular impact on you? I think it was mostly how different things were in the Western States than it was in, in New York. And mostly just my mom had this sort of gypsy infused manner to how we did things. And, you know, this was you know, a long time ago. Um, like we would ride out rainstorms in the car. We were like heating up like chickens underneath the, <laughs> underneath the hood of the car. You know, um, it was a great time. We we're taking this, you know, Dodge Dart, you know, 1973 Dodge Dart through like Indian roads in Monument Valley being told that roads are impassable, but like we were kind of forging on ahead anyway. And um, it was hilarious. And so I think that really like infused this like pretty deep adventurous mindset for me for kind of set me up, I guess. I realized it was very different than what the other kids in my, you know, eighth grade class were getting to do during their summers. We'd be like backpacking up in the Canadian Rockies and using all like the really old school camping gear at the time and having our wool sweaters and, um, you know, dodging hailstorms and stuff. And it was an amazing time. It's like a pretty formative. <laughs> so as you, as you grew up, like into your teens and um, getting into college, like what, I mean, what was that trajectory like for you? It gave me like just the outdoors gave me a lot of independence. It's like I was into team sports and stuff, but I still had like my solo outside time. And I, I kind of harnessed that into into mountain biking through high school. And um, you know, mountain biking was in its infancy and I would, you know, go to track practice, but then like jump on my bike and go, you know, get muddy in the woods somewhere and by myself <laughs> and um as those years went on it's just I, I realized how important like the outdoors was to me and like I knew like lifelong was going to be a priority like if you know if I was going to go to college I needed to like make sure that there was like ample like space that I could go get lost by myself and just go explore like I wasn't going to be able to settle in some town where it'd be like a fun you know social party lifestyle or anything like that. I just, I knew that I, I would need to have a, an outlet to just some open space and mountains. I always put a priority on like, Hey, if I'm going to live somewhere, if I'm going to do something like, I just need to have this mountain outlet or outdoors outlet to be able to escape to. Yeah. Uh, did you go to college? I kind of had the option of like, okay, well I, I wanted to pursue engineering and, um, I wasn't really totally sure what type then. And, all the good colleges are pretty expensive. And so it's like, okay, I was like, well, I'll put in my time at this state school for two years and kind of get all the prerequisites out of the way. And so I chose this college in Western New York in like the cow fields. <laughs> Not the greatest experience, you know? Um, yeah, it was <laughs> kind of when I, it went against my, uh, what I was just saying about, you know, having this outlet, but um, I, I made do. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, once I put in my time there, I like was like, I gotta, I gotta go west, and like so I eventually went to uh, Colorado State in Colorado in Fort Collins. Okay. Yeah, for civil engineering. So is it like a, is that a like a four or five year degree? 
It was four and a half. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but could you have way. gotten it in four? Uh, technically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that was a lot of work to to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Is that something that you still enjoy doing? <laughs> I haven't done it in ten years, so no, okay. not really. I mean, I I think with civil was I. I knew I wanted to do engineering and I was like trying to make a decision of what to focus in and um, civil sounded good because I was like well I'll be able to do these sort of like outside projects that you know maybe have an impact some like water resources stuff but it was it's still like you know it just boiled down to needing to make a decision and like running with it and I was like you know looking through the course catalog and I was like oh environmental engineering that's like one of the you know one of the options and um, you know river mechanics and stuff and so I was like well that's you know, it sounds better than like designing like heating systems and <laughs> so like that's I, without like a huge like okay I'm gonna be a civil engineer you know I chose that path and um I don't regret anything about it because it's like a lot of that path of civil engineering is how I ended up in Alaska um graduated and I was like working in Colorado and Denver and just scooped up into like the corporate engineering world and basically designing like highway expansion projects in like Denver and suburbia and just like basically like designing urban sprawl and I was like this sucks um (laughs) you know I gotta get out of here and while I I liked living in Colorado I I feel like every other week when I would want to go up into Rocky Mountain National Park or the trailheads or anywhere I would have to go through like two more stoplights to get there just because it was like exploding in growth and then kind of Right around then, too, like I had heard, um, actually I had a coworker who got on with the Alaska office, and he would basically come up to Alaska for like a month every summer and do these like, um, you know, river studies. And then talking to a few other people, it was like, oh, there's cool engineering work in Alaska. You know, you're not going to just be buttonholed into doing like designing culverts and drainage systems for highways. So really, without a whole lot of thought, I was like, I got to get out of here and I got to go find something cooler to do with myself. So, you know, I was like, I was 25 and like, I I didn't have any real roots in Colorado. I had some good friends, but I didn't feel like super attached to really any place there. And, you know, during that time I was like super into mountain biking and also like really into climbing too. Um, I had a good friend who actually lives up here now who basically was like my rock alpine climbing mentor and we we did a lot of really neat stuff together but um you know it's sort of like hey i'm gonna go move to alaska you know like you can't really go wrong with that if you're into (laughs) mountains and you know doing this sort of stuff so um really without a whole lot of thought i just sort of like packed up quit the job and packed up my stuff and headed up here and just to try to find a it's pretty cliche, but yeah, just kind of start fresh. Yeah. yeah. Maybe talk about your impression of kind of when you get into the Yukon and then going into Alaska, what that was like for you. It was daunting. I was, <laughs> you know, I was like driving with my pickup truck with all my stuff in it. I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and like, I was like, holy cow. And I like, yeah, especially through the Yukon, I was like, this is big country. Where the hell am I going? Yeah. I hope and, I don't break down. Yeah. But... I hope I don't break down. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was pretty funny. I, I pull kind of into Anchorage. I'm like, I'm on the last miles coming in on the Glen highway and it's like a late April day and it's pouring rain and I don't really know where I'm going. I had some contact that, you know, 
didn't really, I had an address, but no map and I ended up kind of getting lost in Muldoon in the rain. And I was just like, shit, what have I done? You know, like yeah. I'm going to turn around and go home. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Sounds like a bit of culture shock. Totally. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was also pretty crazy. Cause like there was through, through this person that I had known, she was, in this uh, kind of other group of friends and like literally on the next day I got invited on this bike ride out of the Klutna and on that bike ride there's probably like 15 people and like I met some of basically what I refer to as like lifelong friends now and it's like we there was this kind of community that I like landed into amazingly like right away and I was blown away, but first of all, like by the, the people that I'd met and I was like, wow, this is really cool. There's like really welcoming community here of, you know, young people doing cool stuff. And then the mountains too, it's like, I'm up at a Klutna Lake for the first time in early May. And I'm just like gawking up at Bold Peak going like, holy cow, this is like, it's a whole other scale here. And like, just being like, okay, I'm not going to just go home. I'm not going to turn around now. <laughs> like, this, yeah. this is worth it. It's worth it. Combining the relief and variable rock quality of the Canadian Rockies with the death march approaches of the North Cascades, the Western Chugach are an adventure climber's dream or nightmare, depending on how you look at it. Bookended by the ice-capped bulwark of the 13,000-foot Mount Marcus Baker to the northeast and the rainforest-encased peaks around Girdwood to the south, the Western Chugach has a little bit of everything for the adventure-minded mountaineer. For Eric, these mountains have become the backdrop to his life in Alaska, forming a lifestyle of adventure that requires a combination of endurance, problem solving, as well as technical expertise, attributes that perfectly suit his personality. interested in being in the mountains like really interested in like pushing myself in the mountains um but like I enjoyed as I enjoyed doing a lot of stuff it's like I enjoy I enjoy climbing I enjoy snowboarding enjoy biking and it's like the classic like well you, you can't be good at everything at the same time and so you know while I really liked the thought of being like a good technical climber like I realized that like well 
I'm not going to commit myself to that because I want to go skiing on days when like, you know, the ice climbing is good or something. And, um, and so I think I just try to treat like what I do in the mountains is, it's like, well, what can I have the most fun doing? <laughs> and, um, and for me, it's, it's, it hasn't been so much about like, well, what's, what's going to be the most badass? What's going to be the most like challenging? It's, it's more like what, yeah, really what's the, what's the experience like and what would it be like to be there? And like, I don't really care if anyone's been there already. It's like, but it's going to be new to me. And so I haven't really approached climbing stuff in, in this, in I think a lot of people's traditional sense of like, oh, we want to go do the first ascent of this. We want to go do this. I never really took it seriously enough. You know, I, I was a little bit more of a dabbler, I, an avid dabbler, but um, I, I just wanted to be out there and in, enjoying myself and having experiences that mattered to me and my, yeah. whoever I was doing it with. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that there's probably multiple examples, but what's a, a trip for you that maybe you've done in the Chugach that incorporates all those elements you're talking about? Like just a great experience for you. Kind of the adventures I've had in the Western Chugach here is, is kind of like the perfect example because it's like a lot of this stuff's been done already and most of it's been done, but I haven't done it. And to me, that's what matters. It's like, I want to, I want to go explore these places and see them for myself and, you know, look at the lines on the map. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm pretty visual like that. Like I, I like seeing the contours and the maps and like thinking in my head of like, well, I wonder what that's like there. And that's kind of what drives me a lot is like, oh, it'd be super cool to go to this spot and experience that place or go up to this peak and look over at the other peak. And, um, and there's like, yeah, a lot of examples of that. Like even, you know, this summer, um, I did a trip into, um, Baleful Peak, kind of on a, a, a spur of the moment invite with a, with a friend of mine. And Baleful is like this pretty remote, hard to get to peak, you know, it's like not many people go back there into upper Hunter Creek Valley. And, um. For me, I was, I was excited about the peak, but I was m almost more excited about like just going into that area and checking it out and like hiking out the exit, you know, <laughs> I was like, the peak is going to be cool, but like we get to traverse this glacier and come over this pass and like, I've never been all the way back there and we'll get to see like the backside of, yeah. you know, all these other peaks. Um, I have a feeling that there's a good chance you didn't see anybody else either. There's <laughs> nobody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Totally. It's funny, and in, in my mind, uh, I mean, when I was very young, like probably 19, I was like enthralled with that mountain. It's like, for me, it was like the equivalent, like Bashful or like Bold Peak was like Mount Everest, but Baleful was like K2. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it's like, it's steeper. It's been climbed very few times mm -hmm. and it's like really gnarly looking right. and way harder to get to. Through Through like the years as like, I've kind of, I guess become more of like focused on Chugach stuff. I, you know, I look back, I'm like, wow, I've, I've been up that. That's pretty awesome. Um, and, but more like thinking about taking on these, these bigger peaks and these, you know, um, another example is like Bellicose peak. It's like in the back of Peter's Creek, it's like any direction you look at it, it's 
badass you know it's just yeah. like oh my god like you know <laughs> yeah. like when i first saw the thing i was like that thing is sick you know it's got this <laughs> crazy like fluted glacier thing on it and um and then you know it's like as time goes on you, you know that's still in your head like oh that thing's awesome but then it's like all of a sudden all of a sudden you're skiing in to go climb it and you're like whoa am i really i'm really gonna go in to go climb this thing and yeah. and the next thing you know you're like at six thousand feet on it and yeah. it starts to become attainable and i think that's like a lot of the a lot of the work of at least Chugach climbing is just like throwing yourself into those spots and like just going for it because it's like a lot of the work is just the approach and the time and getting into these corners and figuring out the access and the beta yeah. to approach things and bushwhacking and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that I that always attracted me to the Chugach was that you can make it as challenging or as relaxing or as wild as you want it to be. Cause there's like a little bit of everything, you know, you can hike a couple miles and go just hike a really nice, easy peak, or you can go all the way back and do, you know, like almost seven, 8,000 foot, super rugged right. peaks. And I guess I was going to ask you to talk specifically a little bit about, uh, like, what is it about the Western Chugach that yeah. attracts you? For me, it's, it's it's so simple it's just it's proximity it's like we live here it's and it's just right there and then it's it's familiarity it's like as you spend time as as you spend time in in a mountain range and this you know you see this in like many many people and climbers it's like as you spend time in a mountain range you just keep seeing more stuff you want to go do and it's like well you'll go up eagle peak and you're like whoa now we got to go do you know polar bear and it's like and I think it's, it's just easy because we live here and you, you can go do that. You don't need to wait until next May to go fly in and go do it. It's just like you can do it in the next sunny weekend, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, for me, it's just like, it's accessible. It's, it's here. It's like, it's within my skill set. It's like, I've kind of, I figured it out. Like I can kind of read like, oh, that approach is going to suck or yeah. that might not be too bad. And I, you know, I kind of have learned yeah. Tricks. <laughs> Is there a, like a problem solving element of climbing in the Chugach that you like? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wondered think it, about that. A huge part of it is like <laughs> problem solving. And I think it's, it's almost funny when you actually do get to summit like one of these harder peaks is it's, so it's not so much like your skill as a climber. It's just like you figured it out. Yeah. It's like you, you figured it out where the approach is. You didn't get stuck in some bad gully and then you, you know, you persevered through the choss. <laughs> you like went through the manky snow. Maybe, maybe it was great. You know, yeah. but uh, I think a, a lot of it is, yeah, figuring out all the pieces and yeah. and parts. And and you know, there's. I think there's also some fun opportunity. Like I was kind of hinting before. I was like, well, a lot of this stuff's already been done. But like um, a few years ago, my friend Billy Finley and I were up on the up on the what is it, the east branch of the Eklutna on like next apparel. And we, we were going to go try to do peril and it was just getting baked in sun. And we were like, ah, oh, the snow's going to be bad there. So we were like, well, let's just go poke around and see what to do. And we're just skiing and skiing. And then we we're like, huh, this is the backside of Icicle Peak here. And, you know, we didn't hear of, we didn't know there was a route up it or, but we were like, well, it looks good and let's just go try it. And, you know, next thing you know, it was like a long, pretty moderate snow climb and we're on top of Icicle Peak and we're like, whoa, we pulled that one out of our... Yeah. <laughs> you know. I was on 
I've always found it interesting how some mountains can define a period in your life. In 1997, I was 22 years old, obsessed with mountain climbing, and the Western Chugach was my playground of choice. That spring, my best friend Carl and I made the long approach into the Eklutna Glacier to attempt an unclimbed line up the northeast face of Bellicose Peak, a sinister-looking mountain that towers mightily above the valley floor. After an idyllic bivy among sprouting wildflowers and crystal-clear bubbling brooks, we set out at 6 a.m. Finding the lower ice pitches melted out, Carl led a loose, unprotected rock section with tools dangling and crampons scratching. The next few pitches of water ice were dispatched easily, and by late morning, we were cruising up 50-degree snow slopes. The final cornice ridge was airy and exhilarating, but after a few tenuous pitches, we were giddily lounging on the summit. It turns out that we'd made the ninth recorder descent of the peak and completed a route that, to my knowledge, still awaits a second ascent. But more than the thrill of the climbing or the contentment of doing something that nobody else had done before, what I remember most about that trip is my time with a good friend, how our partnership functioned like a fine-tuned machine, how we complemented each other with our own unique skill sets, how we supported each other when making decisions that required a high level of commitment. Like many adventures we had over the years, our experience on Bellicose Peak bonded us. That's why I was surprised to find out that Bellicose Peak had also come to symbolize something important in Eric's life as well. And like my experience with Carl all those years before, it went a lot deeper for Eric than the actual act of getting to the summit. Now the time fades behind us. Yesterday's like a sitting song. I always used to find myself pretending. Yes, I. To me, that was like a pretty personal peak. Um, mostly just due to like this partnership element that that came into play with my good friend JT Lindholm, and we we went in there once, like I think three or no four years ago at least, to to try to do it with like a pretty big group of friends and. The, our group whittled down to three of us. It was me, JT, and Toby Schwar. And the weather was pretty bad, and we were just climbing up, climbing up on the shroud, and um, watching the weather just descend and just visibility going, going, going. And we, we made it up to like you know, almost 7,000 feet, well, pretty darn high on the thing. And we just couldn't see anything, and we just hear avalanches like pouring off every direction. We're like, nice. okay, we're out of here. And we bail down, pick up our stuff, and like exit all the way out. And it's just, it's a, pretty hard hard exit when you when you're trying to do the peak um but anyway i was like okay we got to go back into bellicose so it was like two years later um uh, jt and i go back there by ourselves to do it and um in that time we'd both become dads and um so we're just kind of like blabbering about like dadhood you know with like these young you know both of our kids were like you know his was like one maybe minus two or something and um Young kids, we were just having this, you know, dad conversation all the way in until you go climb this big hard mountain. 
and you know which is in itself we're kind of wrapping ourselves a little bit around like well why are we doing this you know should we you know just sort of like this guilty obligation you know kind of newfound parenthood element to climbing and um throughout that trip i i I knew that JT wasn't really into it, like his, you know, he just wasn't there really as far as like um, really wanting to be there, really wanting to yeah. to push, and um, that's fine. And uh, we we get up on the on the ridge, and I just um, subtly, like I think he was just looking for excuses to turn around, and um, we climb this hard pitch on this on which is basically the summit ridge, where like the final like knife edgy thing, and we there's like one kind of fifth class section you have to go up through and I lead that and it was pretty airy and blay him up and um it was just done we were, we were done it's like beautiful sunny afternoon I was like it's summit was right there and it was like he's just like we got to go you know we, we got to get out of here like I, I can't be home like I, I got to get home tonight mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and so we and in in my mind and and, and you know he when he listens to this, he's probably going to think, well, that's not really how it played out. But um, in my mind, it was like sort of JT wrapping his head around being a, a responsible father. Absolutely. You know? And that, Absolutely. that's how it was in my mind. And, you know, <laughs> our sleeping bags were too light. So we had like a cold night the day before. And there was other things playing into it. But in my mind, I was like, I get it. Okay. Um, we'll bail, you know, and we'll come back another time. And um, <clears throat> like, sadly enough, his like the next year his daughter went through um a terrible tragically ending cancer um episode where she passed away and you know obviously that was a huge blow to everybody and absolutely you know as, as his dad you know, as as Avery's dad JT and so obviously like Bellicose was sacred ground like I, I wouldn't even consider going back there without him after that happened and this kind of tie to his daughter that that peak then had you know and um when when finally the opportunity came around this spring like to go do a trip you know and it was like okay we're gonna go back to do Bellicose with just me and JT and I was like wow this is pretty special it's like we're gonna go back to do this peak that I felt this tie to his his daughter Avery at the time and now Avery's not with us and I'm going back there again and so it it felt sort of like this pilgrimage to me more than like a climbing trip okay we're gonna and it it really is a pilgrimage too you have to go up and over Bombardment Pass and all the way down to Peters Creek and over Rumble Pass and it was just sort of like you know kind of going through the motions we had you know we knew what we were doing we like knew exactly what to bring and it just it felt like this just yeah really literally like a, a pilgrimage and um and things things really came together on that day and you know we, we went up to the summit together and like I we, we both were pretty emotional about the whole thing it was like um, you know in, in my mind it was sort of like this is like the sacred place for me to at least pay respects to now his his yeah. daughter you know that's not with us anymore and um, that was kind of my internal way of dealing with it and I don't know if JT views it that way, but like for me at least, it was like this pretty deeply personal like way of mourning. Yeah, that's a really special story. Uh, it's interesting how uh, a mountain can be like a benchmark like that. You know, 
Uh, I think anybody who's who lives their life like in the mountains with kind of the mountains at the core of what they do gets to have an experience like that where something really personal, uh, it, it's all kind of tied together. Yeah. It's just, it's sort of like this fitting kind of monument. I, like I wanted to sort of like leave something up there to sort of memorialize Avery and like what, what ended up happening was like right before we left on the trip, I found a, a, a packet of wildflower seeds that we had gotten from the actual, memorial service in, in in town last minute I grabbed them I was like this is perfect I'm gonna bring them up here and uh, on the summit of Bellicose you know in late April it's like okay well these aren't exactly gonna grow up here yeah. but I still always spread out some yeah. flower seeds for her. I mean what 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 do you think that trip meant to him I know it was important to him and I know that like how you know I kind of opened up to him on the summit I was like I basically told him everything I just said and um he really was you know took that pretty deeply and um yeah I think it'll always be a pretty special obviously a special yeah. place to, especially you know <laughs> anytime you go to a mountain and it takes you three tries it's going to be a special thing anyway but I think with with those other yeah you know when I think about climbing in the Chugat it's like that was just like one of the things I was like that was yeah. a really important thing that happened it's like all the other stuff's pretty fun and yeah. yeah, we're just playing basically in the mountains, but like when it, you know, that's one of those things that was like impactful, and yeah. you know, so it's like I felt like I had to at least bring it up here yeah. while we're talking. Um, I mean, you just described what sounds like a pretty special bond you have with JT or uh, that experience with him, um, and it sounds like the people that you spend time with in the mountains. I get the sense that those are really important people to you. Can you talk about? Um, I guess what some of the uh, important partnerships that you have like what does that what does that mean to you it's like i'm a pretty introverted person for the most part and so i think i I do i do best on like in small groups anyway it's like i like with social stuff and uh i think yeah when you when you form a partnership you know, with your, with your friends, you're going to go do stuff in the mountains. For me, it's like, you know, you, you have all your inside jokes, like, dialed. And, you know, it's, you're not trying to impress one another. You're just, you know, you're just trying to move and have a good time. And I think, to me, I, I really look forward to those times with with my partners, with my good friends. Because it's like, it's almost, it's kind of like hitting the reset button. It's like, that's like quality time that's really, and when you on a big scale, it's really just play, you know, you're just playing with your friends yeah. and it's like pretty like basic stuff. You know, you're going to go play with your friends. And you're going to crack a lot of jokes and yeah, it's gonna be hard. You're going to carry a lot of stuff and you're going to like be in a difficult place. And it's could be dangerous. You could be dealing with all sorts of, you know, gnarly shit, but you know, in the end you're just, you're just having fun with your friends. And like, that's, I think any trip, you just need to keep that in mind. It's like, if you, can have, if you can have fun on a trip, it's a good trip. One more day till you're 23. They tried to tell you how your life was gonna be. They don't know about you. They don't know about you. Although Eric's affinity for problem solving and creativity has served him well on adventure climbs in the Western Chugach, they've also helped him in other areas of his life, including developing his bikepacking gear business, Revelate Designs. I asked Eric to talk about his passion for mountain biking, 
how Revelate Designs came about, and how he balances the intricacies of running a growing and successful business with the other areas of his life. So mountain biking for me has been like a pretty central focus of my life too. And it actually started in one of those like Western road trips, like back when I was a kid. Like I, we're in Waterton, uh, Waterton Lakes in, the, in British Columbia and some guy had this Nishiki mountain bike and this is like, you know, 1990 maybe. And like, you know, mountain bikes were just starting to exist. And like, I saw that and I was like, that's awesome. Like, I need to have one. <laughs> you know? It's like instantaneous. Yeah, instantaneous. It's like, this is going to be the way of the future for me. And, um, you know, you know, fast forward, you know, I mountain biked and really got into biking through high school and into college. And, you know, I got into racing and then like, I wasn't really fast. So I got into like endurance stuff and that was okay. But then, you know, eventually I was like, well, I just want to do like long trips. And so I started doing some touring trips. And, um, one of the first ones was with my kind of climbing mentor partner in Colorado, friend Dan. We're like, well, let's go do a trip in the Indian Himalayas. <laughs> That's a great first tour, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so it was pretty funny. So we did, and we brought all this stuff with us because we didn't really know what we were doing. We brought, you know, trailers, and um, we had nice bikes, um, but we had just a lot of stuff. And um, and we we did this this ride over from Manali to Leh and back, and um, and it was great. But we were just lugging these, we we're just lugging a lot of gear with us, like more than we needed really. And so after that trip. I was like, this is really cool, um, but there's, there's got to be a better way. And um, right around then, I had uh, met, met somebody through this, through this other race that had been coming up to Alaska to, to do the, uh, I did a sport. And, you know, this is pretty early on. This was like around 2000, year 2000. Um, and I saw his bike and he had a frame bag on it. He had a frame bag and he had pogies and he had like fatter tires and I was just like, what is that? Like, that is super cool. He's like, oh yeah, my mom made it. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's awesome. Like the next trip I do, I have to have like a frame bag like that. And um, I didn't know how to sew at all. And so I recruited a friend of mine who, who did know how to sew to, to make me one. And, um, and then this, it kind of just started, it's the, the gears in my head started turning about like, oh, you can make your own gear. You can just make stuff happen you know you can and like that the kind of the engineering side of my brain started to tick about like well yeah we can you, know, you can kind of do whatever you want you don't have to have panniers you don't have to tow a trailer you can kind of just make stuff work and so pretty soon after that india trip i had him make me a frame bag for my bike and i um i just took some stuff sacks like or compression stuff and like strapped them to the back of this rack and I took off to like Chilean Patagonia for like three months and learned a lot there. It was sort of like the exact opposite of what happened on the Indy trip where I had too much stuff. I had, I had too little stuff on this trip. It's mm -hmm. like I got, I got my ass kicked with wind and like rain and just was pretty <laughs> ill prepared, you know, <laughs> like pretty ill prepared. Like, yeah. um, 
but again, it was just sort of like this learning process of like gear and like learning what works, what doesn't work. And so I eventually found sort of a happy medium. I did this six month tour from like Ecuador into Bolivia and um, had some stuff I made by myself, had some normal gear too, had some like purchased panniers. But I, you know, I finally had made my own bags at that point, made some of my own gear. And um, yeah, and it was, it was, it's cool. And that, that, that kind of like got things moving even more in my head of like, okay, I can, I can make gear. I can make gear that actually works. And, um, you know, during that time, then at this point now I lived in Alaska and, um, I, I was injured one fall and I was like, well, there seems to be this need for like, people need these frame bags because, now we're in Alaska. Now I'm in Alaska, and people are doing like this is sitting 100 and like these fat bike races. And there's people, you know, there's really no options. People are just hacking stuff together. And so I start building bags for people doing the snow bike races. And and pretty quickly I realize, well, there's this demand arising from all over the place for this kind of unique new way of carrying stuff on your bike. And um. So I was working engineering and I was also, then I was sewing stuff on the side. I finally bought an industrial sewing machine and I was just like, one day I was like, well, I know if I dedicate myself totally to making gear that I, I won't be bored, <laughs> which I was and like with the job at least. And so was, I basically quit, which is coming up on 10 years ago, pretty soon. Yeah. I'm going to have a little 10 year party, but like kind of dove off and was like dedicated myself to sewing bags yeah i'm really interested in what that process was like for you making that it's a plunge i mean yeah honestly it wasn't that big a deal for me it was more of <laughs> i i was pretty unhappy with what i was doing and pretty disenchanted with um my work and so whereas the stuff i was doing with bag making it was um well, the perfect example is like in the civil engineering world, you can design something, then it has to get permitted and then it has to get funded and then it'll maybe get built if it doesn't get politically shelved or something, you know? So it's like, there's this huge lag between like you figuring something out versus it being like, oh, there it is, you know? And um, to me, that was just pretty unrewarding and like kind of unacceptable. It's like, okay, if I like design something, I actually want to like see it, you know? And I wasn't really getting this feedback, like a positive feedback of like, yeah. okay, producing something, but really not producing something. <clears throat> Whereas with building gear, I was like, oh, I'd have the idea, I'd sketch it out. Then like, I'd go home and actually pattern it. And then I'd like build it. And that would all be within eight hours. And yeah. I'd be able to look at it and be like, sweet, I made this, yeah. you know, and I can see if it works or if it doesn't. And then yeah. go from there. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's good incentive. It, it, I can, I mean, I can relate with like writing a song or working on a recording or something. It's like, okay, well I could like go to a studio and I could go through all the, you know, I could spend more money or whatever, or I could just like get my own shit and like get to create whenever I want to maybe talk more about that progression. And yeah, for like, so for like the business, it grew really quickly because it's like, there was a huge demand for what I was doing. Um, and that was that was great. I was just sort of like riding this wave of like, I was making stuff and selling it, and sort of at the same time making it and like refining it while I was making it and selling yeah, it. And so like awesome. I had a I had a really cool early 
customer base that kind of kind of knew that it was all sort of experimental anyway, you know, and they were most people were just psyched to have something that was light and different and yeah. and so it, it was pretty cool and like some of those people are still you know friends and customers of mine to the day and um it was it was a really neat early time because i had this pretty supportive biking community that was just eager to get their hands on like lightweight what's now bike packing bags like that, that term didn't really exist yeah. too much back then but now it's bike packing and um yeah and and nobody else was really doing it. It's like there was like one guy in California at the time and he's and and so it was it was a really cool, very creative yeah. period where like you'd come up with stuff and it'd be well no one else is you know yeah. no other bag makers are doing anything yeah. close to this what, stuff. Um what about that is it is exciting for you? When I think about like designing the bags and it's like being here in Alaska, it's like well I think about like western states that have like a ton of mountain bike awesome awesome mountain bike access and trails and um you know even as as the activities involve there's just like amazing routes all over the place now all over the place and alaska is still sort of like we don't have an amazing trail system here we have some cool trails but we don't have this amazing network and so i feel like a lot of what's what's driven me is building gear a lot for myself (laughs) that I can go take on these sort of Alaska adventures. And as I've lived here longer, I've sort of wrapped my head around being able to do these sort of wilderness bike trips and sort of like some of the pieces I try to design now are like, well, this would be cool for this bike pack rafting beach trip or something where is like, well, does that really exist anywhere else? You know, like (laughs) who's going to buy this? But it's like, well, it works for me and like, you know, it's sort of like I can build it. So let's, let's make them, you know, it sounds like your business, um, the things that you like to do in your life, you have a family. How do you balance that in your, like, I guess with your personal life, how do you balance running your business with your personal life? Early on, I was sewing everything myself and like, that was completely unsustainable. Cause it was like, I was working 12 hour days, like nonstop. And then you know, it was just completely unmanageable. Yeah. Um, I needed help with that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and then there's a kid on the way. Like, this is not going to fly, you know? Um, yeah. So, like, early on there was a, it was a pretty good struggle to figure yeah. out how it was all going to work out. You got your shit together. Got it's shit together. <laughs> yeah. 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 Shit together. Um, on my business side, I have, like, pretty key employees that do a lot of the stuff that would that take a ton of time and effort, you know? And so I can try to focus now on the more creative and like doing the stuff that I, I really need to be doing to keep the thing running, you know? And then like, as more like on a personal side, it all kind of, a lot of this stuff ties together. Cause it's like, we like spending time in the mountains. So it's like, whether that's biking or climbing or like family camping, you know, as long as that's like filled somehow, I'm pretty happy, you know? Um, yeah. It's like, I, then I still need like my, personal time of kind of running wild I kind of like determine like when I'm just yeah. off on myself or I'm with you know going on a climbing trip or doing some sort of crazy bike adventure you know and yeah. so it's like it all, it all you know somehow it works yeah <laughs> yeah priorities is a, is a huge thing it's like you have to prioritize things it's like as a as a business owner it's like yeah there's 
I could I could easily work 60 70 hours a week and not do anything else and like make revelate this you know this you know a different at it like it could be at a different level than it is you know but it's like well I choose to recreate and I choose to sleep yeah. <laughs> and I choose to exercise you know it's like and I choose to spend time with my kid and it's like it's it is all about priorities and it's like well as as long as things are as long as things are working yeah I was reminded why the mountains are so important to us. Mountains give us a place to think, a place to clear our minds, a space to meditate, and an arena to build memories. We form meaningful friendships and lasting bonds. We learn through trial and error, and we build on collective experiences to find out what we are capable of. But I was also inspired by the other parts of Eric's life, his willingness to take a chance and move to Alaska as a young man, having the patience, work ethic, and resolve to build a successful gear company from the ground up, and finding ways to balance his creativity, outdoor passions, and personal life, and somehow make everything work and fit together. It's pretty inspiring stuff. Before we ended our conversation, I asked Eric to talk about his future goals in the outdoors, as well as some of the climbing objectives he still would like to achieve in the Western Chugach. going to be seven i want to i want to start taking things up a notch with our family expeditions so to speak you know it's like i really want to i haven't really done anything up in the arctic versus some skiing so it's like i really want to do a pretty extended like arctic trip next year or the year after or something like that sorry something like longer than just a two-night backpacking trip locally you know i just i really want to like start really and he's expressed interest in it too so it's like i that for me is is kind of like pretty important to kind of get this um to get him into this sort of like traveling mode of wilderness and like really immersed in in wilderness like because he's you know it's getting to be that age where it he can handle it and he can actually travel pretty well and he's a good hiker and so i think that'll be really rewarding um so that's going there with with him and the family i think that would be really cool like kind of taking a taking things up a notch there um personally it's like staying on it like 
<laughs> you know, I'm not super goal focused. It's like, it's like there's stuff I want to do in, in the mountains, but it's, it's, it's definitely still more like I want to do fun trips and have a good time. And it's like, eventually you're kind of like running through what's, what's out there and it's yeah. limitless. So you, you don't have to say it if you don't want, but I'm curious, what's a specific mountain in the Western Chugach that you are intrigued with? That you would, what, <laughs> well, what, we gotta go do. Yeah, I mean, peril, peril is one of them, and that's like kind of one of these almost comical things with me and my partners now. It's like because we've either tried it like three times already, or like I've talked about it so much. It's like you know, it's like, but yeah, peril peak is this, it's there. It's like you know the this pyramid at the head of Eklutna when you're looking up at it. It's almost like this foreboding thing. So yeah, that that has to happen. We were gonna go do it this August, but you know the weather was just crap, and so. You know, it's been a shitty month. It's been a shitty <laughs> fall. Yeah. But yeah, stuff like that. It's like going through these Chugach 7,000 footers is, it's fun and it's, it's cool. And it's like, for me, it's not about really like the, like checking them off a list. It's just like, they're cool mountains and they're, they're all in really cool places. And it's more like go, getting to go to those places and, you know kind of daydreaming about like being on those ridge lines yeah i am a traveler at the speed of light i don't know where i'll be sleeping tonight but if you see me won't you please shine your light i'm just a boy all right well thanks for hanging out with me today I hope you got as much out of Eric's stories as I did, and I hope you can apply some of his unique alpine and life experience to your next trip in the mountains. To find out more about Revelate Designs, you can check them out online at revelatedesigns.com. I also want to give a shout out to Eric's good friend, JT Lindholm, whose beautiful little daughter, Avery, passed away from cancer in 2015. In a way of honoring his daughter, JT started the Little A Triathlon, a fundraiser and a memorial event that raises funds for a child currently receiving treatment for cancer. If you want to get involved, if you want to participate, if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate or become a sponsor, you can find out more about this wonderful annual event at littleatriathlon.com. And I've got some links in my show notes as well. Never going where she could belong, but where she was chosen. Thanks again for being with me today, everybody. It is my true privilege to put this show together for you. If you would be so kind, don't forget to review the podcast on iTunes or within your favorite podcast app. And if the Fernline adds value to your life, please consider becoming a monthly backer on Patreon. And finally, if you enjoy the tunes you hear, you can check out more of my music on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp, and evanphillips.net. Until next time, I'm Evan Phillips, and this is The Fern Line. Too many people that do what they're told. Too many faces never get to gold, and I wonder... I wish that we could go back in time We were young and we were feeling alright I could hold her and she'd still be mine for a while But the days turned to rain And I just smile and refrain 
She just called me insane, but I just wasn't listening. She said you're just not listening. You're not even listening. 